I think at the end of the day, the checks and balances system is if people are inauthentic, then they will lose audience because their audience picks up on it immediately. And if you think that someone is hawking products that they don't believe in, if their content isn't stellar, if they're not really telling a story around the product or the retailer, then it's not going to translate into sales or into a change in consumer behavior and increasing loyalty among the, the consumers that a, a brand already has. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hey everyone, we have a great episode lined up for you today. I had the chance to sit down with Stacey DeBroff, who is the CEO and founder of Influence Central. The name of her company may allude to what she does, but she is an all-around expert on social media, social advertising, and very specifically, influencer marketing. And this space has been experiencing a lot of evolution and also a lot of disruption. Obviously, with COVID, a lot of folks are relying more on their social networks to bridge connections with their friends and family, to learn more about the news, current events, but also, you know, get some retail therapy in. So I wanted to get Stacey's thoughts on how this space is changing in light of COVID-19, what behaviors will stick, and most of all, what new implications there may be for social networks like TikTok, as well as the future of influencer marketing, especially as consumers grow more aware and in some cases critical of the relationships that influencers have with their brand partners. So listen in if you're a super social media savvy brand, I'm sure you'll get some tips for improving your strategy. And if you're completely new or wanna ramp up your approach, Stacy still gets deep into not just the strategic side, but the tactical side as well. So no matter where you are in the social media landscape, you're gonna get some actionable takeaways. Hope you enjoy it. Stacey, thanks so much for uh, taking the time and being on the show. Great to have you. Thank you, Alicia. It's so great to be here. So we have a lot to uh, dig into today. I'm really excited to have you here with us today. But first, let's start at the basics. Why don't you share a little bit about yourself and the work that you do in this fascinating world of social media? Definitely. And I got here somewhat sideways. I actually started as a lawyer and I thought I had given up the law, but Given all that's happening on social media, and we do a lot of work, I'm the CEO and founder of Influence Central, I actually find myself on with all of Amazon Legal Counsel or ABC or all of Reebok, and they say, we want to talk to corporate counsel, and I'm still there. I'm still there. So really understanding some of the legal underpinnings and regulations has still continued to be a big deal in terms of structuring agreements with brands and with influencers. After I started by founding the public interest office at Harvard Law School, I left there to write best-selling, four best-selling parenting books for Simon & Schuster, which led me to do dozens of segments on national media from the Today Show to CNN, Rachel Ray, Tyra Banks, and all the ABC, NBC, CBS affiliates around the country. I then morphed into doing spokesperson work for national brands, ranging from American Express to Whirlpool, and got sought out for consulting by CEOs who were trying to reach the mom demographic, which turned out to be the women demographic. And all of this was happening during a time where there was a fundamental paradigm shift in marketing, where consumers, based on the rise of technology platforms, consumers hijacked the ability of how they were going to talk about brands. And one of the things that became clearer to me and actually drew me into social media, two things. One is a CEO that I was working with asked me to be one of the first bloggers. And ironically, at that time, it meant cutting pieces of my book and the excerpts and pasting them online in what was called a blog, which is hilarious because it's evolved so much from that. And one of the things that struck me when I was doing spokesperson work, I was doing a room a day giveaway on The View for all of the different brands under Kimberly Clark. And 
And the brand teams were all there. We were in a beautiful upscale house in White Plains shooting these B-roll segments. And the brand team from Scott's Toilet Tissues, because I was a spokesperson, they were really crafty in my language. And they said, it's really important that we're toilet tissues and that we're soft and durable. And I made the mistake of saying to them, but people don't talk about toilet tissues. They really talk about toilet paper. And when moms talk about it, really durability, I don't understand. And and they proceeded to give me a whole understanding of their carefully crafted brand language and also how there were three types of toilet paper users in the world, rollers, scrunchers, and, and folders, and the rollers needed durability. And I thought, wow, this is both mind-boggling because I had no idea. But also, it just showed how much brand language had diverted from the way in which we as consumers talk about brands every day. And so I ended up jumping headfirst, started Mom Central Consulting, it morphed to Influence Central. And when I started, I mean, MySpace and AOL were still big. Facebook was still a college app gaining some traction. Twitter didn't exist. There were blurb and clerk and crazy micro platforms. This was before the rise and fall of live social media apps and the platforms as we know it today. And so in this nascent space, I was fascinated by how influencers could really capture a passion of a first-person recommendation. And if brands' language was going to be hijacked by consumers to talk about brands and the ways that they found most meaningful, then it was going to be a fundamental shift in the way marketing took place, which turned out to be true for better and for worse in how the space has evolved. But that gives you the background of how I actually ended up being an expert in social media. And as part of Influence Central, we work with hundreds of national brands. They run the gamut from very large brands, Amazon size type of brands, down to more startup brands that are looking to get into the retail space. So over the past, I've been doing this now for 11 years, it's just led to a lot of strategic considerations. And I'm excited to get into those with you today in terms of as from a retailer perspective, what is the current landscape? Things have been completely upended with a combination of the COVID pandemic, with political uprisings of Black Lives Matter, with the shutdown of major events from Olympics back to school being up for grabs. And there's been a general pause in marketing where brands have become very tentative about what to do, how to do it right, how to leverage social media but not have backlash, and also how to deal with where they find themselves in the market as to whether or not they have supply side issues, you know, can consumers find their products. So that's sort of the overview of my background and also this just incredibly tumultuous time we find ourselves in when you think about this transformation of what's happening for brands and for retailers when they think about their integrated marketing mix. Yeah, it's really a fascinating evolution. You really hit on, Stacey, I think a lot of the key things that I want to speak with you about today because I know when I first started covering retail, it was social media through the lens of listening, responding if people have a problem. And a lot of cases, a lot of retailers weren't even doing that. So that was like innovative in and of itself. But now it has really transformed into these conversations are taking place whether you like it or not. And it's up to your brand and marketing teams to determine how do we want to position ourselves in this space And that's everything from branded content to influencer partnerships to even what's our stance on certain issues. So I definitely do want to dig into that, especially through the lens of this current world that we're in, current world meaning the realities of COVID, right? And we've been talking a lot about the shift to digital largely because people are trying to protect themselves or at-risk family and friends, really just trying to minimize, you know, how much time they spend out, who they interface with. So digital, in some cases, is all we have, right? So I would love your take on the trends that you're seeing now and maybe even your take or any sort of inkling you may have around the long-term impact from a behavioral standpoint, right? Because it's, it's. I feel like at this point, it's kind of hard to discern what's immediate because, you know, we don't have an option versus what behaviors will become innate or will stick around 
for a prolonged period of time or, or indefinitely, right? So really curious to uh, get your take on what you're seeing there. I love your observations and also the question, which is, what are we seeing? And, and so to start off in thinking about this, psychologists have found that on average, it takes 66 days for us to form a new habit. And we are five months into the COVID pandemic. So one of the things that we know is that, and the question to discern is how much of our, of what we're seeing on the consumer front is going to stick around. It's unclear, but it seems attenuated of how long we're going to be in this disruptive period, even as vaccines make their way to market, getting coverage and what is going to be the return to normal consumer behavior. One of the things that we've seen is definitely with the people being more isolated, social media platforms have surged. We have two ways that we, in addition to what we're seeing on the brand front, the two ways that we tap into what's happening is we have a community of about 8,000 talented influencers who are content creators, and they are often a pulse of where consumers are trending. But we also have a consumer insights panel. And so we survey three times about 500 consumers on that panel to try to understand how these changes ladder up. So the first thing that we've seen, which you observed, is that people are tuning in digitally. Overall, consumers report their social media tune-in has increased overall by 62%. And among this group, about a quarter have dramatically increased the amount of time they're on social media. The other thing is a huge number of people who otherwise would be lurkers, that's when we just read and and take in content and watch videos, have actually now become commenters. So they're commenting, they're engaging, they're liking, but they're also creating their own content. At the same time, we have influencers reporting that they are seeing surges on average across the platforms of about 36% in engagements and in audience really paying attention to what they're putting out. And consumers at the same time say that they have about 25% of consumers are actively looking for even more influencers to follow. And this is separated from the surge we've seen in short video platforms with TikTok in particular, where not only are the impressions and the engagements just astronomical, but you can actually go and have something hit viral and acquire several million influencers overnight. And it's the one platform in which there is the greatest, there has been the greatest growth. At the same time, we have consumers turning to social media for online shopping suggestions. And part of that is tied into this surge in e-commerce. Across the board, we have become much more comfortable ordering things online. And it's not just online groceries and grocery deliveries and curbside pickup, but it's moving across categories from beauty to clothing to things that we otherwise would go to a drugstore to pick up. All of these things are moving and there's a developed comfort with online shopping. So this now sort of connects in to some of the trend spotting that is happening that really matters when you're thinking about, from a retail perspective, consumers, your sales, and what from a consideration point of view you can attribute is going to really contribute to driving sales and holding consumers loyal. So the one thing that's happened and is likely to stick around is that brand loyalty during the time of corona has deeply diminished. Part of this is based on supply side issues. So your favorite ketchup might be Heinz, but if you can't find it in the grocery store or you can't easily find it for a comparable price online, you then are shifting. And 75% of consumers report being unable to find many of their regular products in store. 45% can't find them online. And what's happening is consumers are becoming untethered in their brand loyalty, which really matters for retailers and for brands. Because if I'm used to going to a certain grocery store and finding what I want, or I have certain 
limited online preferences. Now people are really looking to find better or less expensive is the second piece of this with the millions of furloughs, with people worried about short and long-term finances, people are looking for cost savings. And what's happened is social media has become a very important conduit to connecting recommendations and reviews into the actual purchase. And we've seen across social media platforms, this click to shop or swipe up to shop or this ability to start merging retail with the social media posts is a reflection of this shifting of consumers leaving their favorite tried and true, could be their favorite jeans, it could be a grocery product, it could be a beauty product, and moving more to generic. 90% of consumers are have purchased generic products. And so all of that is laddering up to a way in which this consumer behavior is going to continue because people have developed comfort with e-commerce. And also consumers want most from brands on social media deals and cost savings. 88% of consumers say that's what they value most from retailers. And then if you ladder onto that, and I'll take a pause if, if you want to dive into this, there's so much as part of this, but What happens is when we look at post-COVID predictions, e-commerce is going to continue to go strong from groceries to household goods. We have Walmart Plus delayed, but everyone's trying to jump in the game. Kroger just announced today that they are going to expand by 30% the number of brands that they don't have room in their stores, but they'll bring into their online and delivery merchandise ability to deliver. We have expectations of free shipping as the norm. People are used to contact list delivery where people drop packages or take out food on your doorstep where you do curbside pickup. And along with that is cashless payments. Not that there's been any proof of this connection of germs with cash, but overall, more and more people want to either swipe a credit card, to use Venmo, to use mobile payments. And PayPal said that they see an inflection point where they think that we're looking at the death of cash because they fear, that consumers fear for their health. And we also see a cascading shutdown of retail brick and mortar stores that just simply can't make ends meet, that some of which were on the brink. And we also have the closure of department stores and the evisceration of malls. And so... I'll pause there, but what we see then is all of this from the swirl of people untethered to the the brands and retailers that they were tried and true with, with social media driving recommendations and driving e-commerce to help people find what they want or find substitution brands. With this e-commerce rise, we've seen the very tapestry of consumer shopping behavior is going to be permanently changed. Yeah, there definitely is a lot of great stuff there, Stacey. And I think it really reflects the conversations that we've been having on retail touch points, not just through the business's perspectives, you know, what they're trying to prioritize from a strategic sense, but also the consumer's standpoint as well. I think what's been most interesting about watching social media specifically is seeing, you know, as e-commerce traffic and sales have increased and as consumers have been looking for more recommendations and influence insight, you know, through digital channels, there has been, in some cases, a very significant pivot. But I would say overall, I mean, it's, it's probably started over the last year or so. I've been noticing a very interesting shift in the content that's being created and shared, especially through social media. So a lot of it, of course, aligns with new capabilities through these platforms. We'll get into like TikTok and Instagram and in a bit, I'm sure. But there has to be a need, right, from the content creator standpoint or some sort of expectation of, of I need to be able to share videos. I need to be able to show before and afters. I need to be able to walk my audience through how I use this product so they feel like they're making the right decisions. But I'd love for you to dig a little bit deeper into that, you know, maybe some insight around the content that's actually being created to support this greater integration between digital channels. Because I know 
for a long time, we were talking about how digital is largely siloed, social media is over here, the e-commerce site is on the other side. But now as these capabilities really come to light, it seems like everything's starting to meld together and content is really connecting everything. So with that, I'll pause now. I mean, what's your take on, on content consumption patterns, content creation patterns even? I mean, what's really driving that not just engagement, right? Because that's that'll only get you so far, but actually that interaction with the brand, some sort of action point, right? I mean, that that's really what we want to get to. Right. And I think that people and everywhere you talk to consumers, people feel restricted. People feel anxious and they also are changing some fundamental other behaviors in their lives that are driving them to change the type of content that they want, the type of branded content that resonates with them. First of all, we've seen overall a move to short-form video. And one of the things about TikTok that I think has dramatically increased its rise from being a very Gen Z platform where everyone originally on it was between 11 and 14 years old to having coming into wide acceptance is the music, the dancing, the humor. There is this need for escapism. And one of the things that's interesting is that consumers in our surveys have shared very stridently that they don't want humor coming from a brand, but they will love humor coming from content creation. And so we see some of that escapism in what has dominated the videos. And also people are spending a tremendous amount of time at home as COVID surges, retreats, people are much more likely to be home. And what's happened is that changed consumer behavior. We have become a nation of cooks. For a long time, takeout has been shut down. There's some outdoor dining, but very little indoor dining. And people really, one of the things people picked up on is cooking, new recipes, They want content to teach them how to use pantry staples. There's a lot of tasty hand videos where it's a very fast video, but it sort of shows you, okay, ready? We're going to make this incredible burrata Caesar salad. Ready? Go. And you see the whole process unfurling. Whereas maybe prior to that, there was big unboxing videos like, look what I ordered. I'm going to walk you through it. Now it's more how to do stuff. People really want to keep busy, fit, and entertained at home. So we've seen a surge on social media of arts and crafts idea. Parents are losing their minds, especially with young kids. They need educational content, virtual learning ideas, ways to keep their kids entertained or to set up homeschooling environments where they can facilitate their kids' remote learning. We have everybody craving at-home fitness. We also, everybody, we have become profoundly dedicated to do-it-yourself projects as everyone looks around their homes from organizing their pantry to redoing rooms, painting, changing up throw pillows. We actually have spent more time than ever before, especially with the people working from home, changing up home offices, um, beauty at home, all these things that have changed. And so these how-to videos And also what's really changed as part of this content is that it used to be influencers were all about the ideal. They were creating this masterful, idealized vision where you just happened to catch me in my backyard in high fashion, serving the most beautiful dinner to my family. And it was highly aspirational. And one of the things since COVID hit on the influencer side And also, it's an important note for marketers and brands and retailers, people don't want ideal. They really want real. They'd much rather see non-aspirational content, but something, oh, I can cook this. I can look like this. This is a great idea of something I can do around my house. They don't, all of the influencers that were really focused on high fashion, on incredibly aspirational images. And in fact, one of the things that Instagram had been noted for is that the Instagram pictures itself were usually so these miniature perfection moments. The rise of Instagram stories was that they were super casual. They weren't beautifully shot as if you were in a photo shoot or a a movie set 
or a TV set. It was spontaneous. And, and really, when you look at Instagram stories and now Instagram launching reels to try to take on, and we can talk more about the TikTok regulations and what's going to happen there. But uh, in addition to all these, how do we do it ourselves? How can we bring a brand in that can bring us this information? So how can we be more inspired to to spruce up our decks or to put interesting different food on the table? All of this is laddering up to a change in expectation about brand content and it's driving the tune in of social content. And all of this is connected so that you can add this to your Walmart cart. Here, you can click here and all of a sudden you're going to be taken over to the retailer site so that you can buy it because this is the ultimate yoga pants that you're missing for casual dress. And I think that the two have, as you pointed out, Alicia, has have really converged to the point that they're seamlessly getting integrated and just the DNA of the e-commerce and of the social media content are becoming inexorably entwined. Yep. So it's definitely safe to say that the context of the consumer mindset, the situation that we're in, possibly a lot of people trying to curb spending, be more savvy and efficient. It's not just so much about pushing products. It's more lifestyle driven. It's more, let's use what you have and combine it with some new things. It's very interesting to hear how this changes the lens of the content strategy and content creation process. But then my follow-up question for you is, does this transcend into paid social advertising? I mean, we've seen a lot around using influencers for paid campaigns, reusing their content for paid advertising, things of that nature. So are these trends extending into paid tactics as well, like as far as what's driving consumer action, or is this largely building trust and engagement at at a community level? No, I, I think that brands, especially, so we have a confluence of several things happening at once. One is there has been a move to digital spending, but first we had the number of brands who boycotted Facebook, hundreds of them, many of which they, it started during July, but many have extended it because they, it was associated with hate speech regulation, but it was also a resentment of brands about how Facebook was monopolizing and leveraging ad buys because Facebook and Instagram, which they own, has a very strong hold, especially on behaviorally targeted advertising. And I think that influencers have always offered brands and influencer done right. There are many ways to not do influencer well. And unfortunately, some of those really garnish press attention. And I think part of one of the things that's happened in the influencer space is the rise of these SaaS platforms where it's software platforms. It just scrapes everyone in the universe. It says, here's all these potential people. They're not vetted and agencies in the focus of saving money, as many of them have had budgets cut and also marketing budgets have been cut by brands, see it as a less expensive alternative. And it's actually been a problem because the thing about influencers is influencer marketing done right. You find somebody who has built up trust with their audience and that trust is shown through engagements and through longevity of views, that they are speaking to an audience who wants their content. And They also, you need to find people who you have to make sure that you're engaging them in a way that there's integrity, that they're passionate about the product, they're sharing a first-person recommendation about how they're using it, showing it as part of their lifestyle, a part of their online content, but you're not paying them so much that they're just artificially saying, I love this, and it really is not something that they personally embrace or espouse or comes off disingenuous to their audience. And so during this time of COVID and even before this, brands are by their nature and retailers by their nature are cautious and nobody wants to make a misstep. And particularly now there are plenty of missteps to make. So the idea of engaging with paid 
influencers and the paid is to really compensate influencers for their time. It's totally dependent on how many different types of content. Are you asking for video content? Are you original recipe creation? Are you asking them to go in store to cover something? There's a definite sense that brands want to be cautious because there's lots of incidents, especially with higher and celebrity influencers where people have behaved badly and it's given influencers a bad name. So from a brand perspective, the more that they can vet an influencer, the more that they can trust that that influencer is going to be a predictable advocate for them, that they're choosing them based on their passion. So for example, with Influence Central, when we go out for a campaign, we ask all the influencers, raise your hand, is this you? Is this something that you care about? Tell us why. And can you share with the brand content that you've done in this space that helps them understand the type of content that you rate? And also for us, we're looking, they've given us access to their behind the scenes. They've given us access to the APIs so we can see really what's happening behind the scenes on all the platforms that they're being activated on. And so within the paid influencer, it gives brands an ability to have somebody else talk on their behalf, especially when consumers don't trust brand direct messaging, especially with the rising millennials, they are willing to see brands share facts and product facts, but they really want recommendations. It's very peer-driven recommendations. And we think about that in our everyday lives, Alicia, just take what to watch on Netflix. It's all recommendations. People say, you should read this book. You should do this. You should try this one restaurant just opened outdoor dining. It's amazing. You should try it. These are the type of recommendations that actually change behavior. So what is happening is that, and also because of the personal storytelling, the content created by social media influencers is overwhelmingly more compelling to consumers than a brand or retailer's ad agency or creative agency comes up with. Secondly, a lot of what's happening in paid social, and particularly what we're seeing, is brands take the best performing, this is it done well, is that as a brand or retailer, you take the very best performing content and you make sure that you amplify it through paid social ads to make sure it's reaching the audience you want. So let's say there's a geo-targeted campaign and a brand is trying to drive grocers into regional Piggly Wiggly stores in the Southeast. So they may find influencers that shop at those stores and that are located in their states, but they just don't have enough of the reach to those consumers. So they can then go and use paid to basically do ad buys that takes the best performing of that content, of the recipe. And this is true for brand-created content as well, and actually make sure that it hits a very particular demographic. So if a brand is looking for male millennials who shop for sports-related items, who live in the following zip codes. That's the most effective use of paid digital in this time because you really get to dive into the behavioral targeting and amplify the message of compelling content to reach the consumers that brands are trying to reach. And now a word from our sponsor. The retail industry is facing new uncertainties. But what if you can turn that uncertainty into opportunity? Now's the time for brands to level up and accelerate the innovative ideas that have been weighing in the balance. During the Now Virtual Retail Innovation Conference, get tactical tips and best practices from your peers around the big acceleration. Learn how you can create relevant and immersive digital journeys, optimize the e-commerce browsing and buying experience, support omni-channel fulfillment services, plus so much more. The two-day online experience is taking place on October 13th and 14th. And as a listener of the Retail Remix podcast, we're giving you 25% off your all-access pass when you use the code PODVIP at checkout. Just use the link in the show notes to get started. Get inspired by the brightest minds in retail and start finding clarity in the chaos. Register for the Retail Innovation Conference today. I do want to go back to one point that you brought up around just the perception of 
influencers in general, you know, among consumers, because largely a lot of people still rely on them. They follow them. They love them. They feel connected to them, which to your point earlier is the essence of what makes influencer marketing so powerful and effective. But it's been interesting because there has been a small number of influencers that started just blogging and they've kind of evolved and built their own empires and businesses. And that's fantastic, right? Like seeing that space really evolve and they can bring that monetization to a completely different level. But then with that comes the conversations from the consumer standpoint of, oh, like this isn't authentic anymore because you're just trying to sell things or peddle things, you know, however they decide to talk about it. So that has led to some high-level influencers being questioned, you know, their authenticity, their integrity, in largely in serving their community. So, I mean, what's your take on what's happening here? I mean, is it a kind of fork in the road for influencer marketing? Will we see some sort of shakeout happening that the brand and marketing folks listening right now need to take note of or, or kind of adapt to? So it's really interesting because a lot of the controversy surround celebrity level influencers. So they're either celebrities on social media or more likely they're social media emergent celebrities. And we've also seen with the surge of digital tune-in that people can become these mega social media influencers reaching millions of people almost overnight. So there's no ramp up time of professionalization and the money that is changing hands which we've seen on some of the high-level engagements that we've done for brands, is a tremendous amount of money. And so I think that that is where problems can emerge because a lot of times mm-hmm. and there you get talent agents involved, you get lawyers involved, you have brand folks involved, and it's really tempting to find a high-profile influencer who is incredibly compelling. So But a lot of times people aren't doing the real background history checks. They're not really vetting to understand the match between passion and opportunism. So you then start to see some influencers behaving badly. We had a classic example of this was Jeffree Star, who he and his partner were engaged in some racist comments and Morphe as a brand severed a relationship with them after major consumer complaint and actually their audience complaint pivoted up about their high profile and, and actions done wrong. We've had some high level celebrities, despite all the vetting, one guy ended up inappropriately texting a teen daughter's friend. One really high level TikTok influencer signed all this. I mean, we were really on the brink of everything had been worked out with the brand. And this is an example of super young influencers. And the brand had a 30-second dance video. And at the last minute, the young teen TikTok star said, I'm sorry, but I only feel comfortable doing 15 seconds. And it's this unpredictability and this lack of authenticity. And we definitely see that that is the case, especially when there are high-level spokesperson-type campaigns going on where they're engaging influencers. And then we hear about this poor behavior. And I also think newbies, there are tons of people who are flooding on who will try to be influencers and they haven't worked with brands and they just, it can be a free-for-all in this sort of micro-influencer space. But for the vast majority of influencers, what happens is that the thing that stops them from being inauthentic or being too commercialized, which people definitely resent, we know as a society the vast majority of us don't welcome ads. That's why all of the paid content platforms from Netflix to Hulu to Disney Plus are surging because people are willing to pay not to have ads. And in fact, it's led to a lot of dissatisfaction of platforms start off very engagement oriented with the content you want to see. And then you'll start having people complain, wow, my Facebook feed is just all sponsored commercials. Ads are being pummeled my way that I don't want. I think at the end of the day, the checks and balances system is if people are inauthentic, then they will lose audience because their audience picks up on it immediately. 
And if you think that someone is hawking products that they don't believe in, if their content isn't stellar, if they're not really telling a story around the product or the retailer, then it's not going to translate into sales or into a change in consumer behavior and increasing loyalty among the the consumers that a, a brand already has. And I think that this comes to like one of the things that I think in how I structured Influence Central that's really important is longitudinal tracking. Because in our system, if an influencer ever behaves in a non-brand friendly way, in an unpredictable way, we keep notes and we will never, ever, ever serve them up to any other brand client. And I think that building up repeat player expertise really matters when it comes to this authenticity and ensuring that the campaigns are not being done in a way that it's just purely commercial. But that being said, we see tons of campaigns being put out there. Again, a lot of them by brands using sort of mass platforms where everyone tweets the same ad and pushes the same content. It really it has such an easy ability to offend. So I think that there are real nuances about being strategic and being thoughtful and really vetting and having a strategic overview of influencer being done right. Because done right, those consumer rejection issues don't come up. Yeah. It's really interesting to see the art and the science melds <laughs> yeah. together in real time, right? Because I mean, I know I personally just going through my own feed, seeing so many faux pas, for lack of a better term, influencers copy and pasting, you know, directly the caption and it has the directions in it. And you're like, ah, oh, come on. <laughs> or it's like partner, partnerships that make like no sense. And like, we're, we're looking at this as audience members, right? Like, so if I can look at a well-known influencer and say, this doesn't make sense. Like, how much did you get for this partnership? Like, that's something that the brand really needs to kind of do that pre-work and really tick those boxes. Because I think the downfall of like, there being so many tools and platforms now, and they're, and they're great, don't get me wrong, is that a lot of people still rely solely or primarily on those. They don't do that contextual work that you're talking about. And also there's a lot of agencies that are trying to keep, especially as organic publicity has lessened, I think a lot of PR agencies are trying to do it. They're assigning young team members and they just don't have sophistication. They just really don't understand the nuances because like if we ever had somebody cut and paste something on a campaign we were doing, not only would we dismiss them from the campaign, we would blackball them. We'd never, we'd never, ever, ever serve them up again because we think that they have poor content, that they're plagiarists, that they're cut and pasters, that they're, it's just offensive and it gives influencer marketing a bad name. Yeah, some excellent points there. And before we close things up, and I can't believe we're already almost at the top of our time together, like like we were talking about before we started, we could probably talk about this for hours between the two of us. But <laughs> I mean, I love your point earlier that the expansion and the evolution of these social platforms has kind of democratized influencer culture, right? Like everyone's trying to be an influencer. Everyone's trying to be a tastemaker, which again, more power to you if you can do it. But especially TikTok, it's like I blinked and then out of nowhere, there's like this rolling list of like new influencers. I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> like, where did you come from? An hour ago. Yep. Right. And I think TikTok has really become a key platform for people to unleash the creativity, to build their voice, which again, fantastic. That's really the heart of what social media is all about. But let's get into the nitty gritty of TikTok right now because we're recording this in a very tumultuous time for the app. It's a will they, won't they be acquired by another company? Will they be banned? Jury's still out as of this recording time. But I would love your take on TikTok as a whole. We won't get into the, you know, is this a valid decision or not because that's a whole different conversation. But the relevance of the platform, I guess, from the brand perspective, because I feel like the impact that's had just when we started covering it a few months ago or about a year at this point, it is significant. Oh, just been astronomical. TikTok offers short form vertical video 
that's super easy to work, to watch, and super easy to share. And it is the one place right now where you could go from zero to hero and that you can amass just a huge engaged audience with one viral hit, one great song, one great dance, one great humorous content, one compelling short form video. It's partially reflecting people's attention span, which is it's short, quick hits. It's viral. It's really easy to share. And like we've seen the evolution in social media, we've seen platforms go from very word focused to being very visual. We then saw a rise in this like sort of video content and live video content. And TikTok has those elements. I think that TikTok is actually going to come through on the other side of this because first of all, it's unclear that the government has the ability to shut down in the United States legally an app. The current administration is like, we are concerned. And there is a concern because ByteDance, which owns TikTok, is Beijing-based. And there's definitely a worry about a Trojan horse backdoor in which data mining can take place. And the data mining isn't just what you share on TikTok, but if you have it on your phone, what other information from location to other usage data can be picked up by the app. And I think that in India as a country bandit, I just think that there are millions and millions of people using this, and I don't think that they really want to move. Instagram, of course, instantly came up with an alternative of reels. Celeb influencers have been trying a whole bunch of new platforms that range from sort of musically focused to just short form video. And this short form video is here to stay. And I think TikTok has actually done an amazing job in how it's packaged and how people can quickly add music and and create this incredibly engaging, clever content that people gravitate to. But I also think that, and now we have both Microsoft and Twitter contending a, a threatened shutdown by September 15th. But I actually think that TikTok is going to stay. But what we will see is the rise of other platforms trying to capture some of that traffic. And one of the things that's always interesting, Alicia, is when people migrate from a platform, the real question, and we don't know this yet, is can these really successful TikTok influencers move successfully to another platform? Because one of the common things we hear is the TikTok celebs saying, I've tried to engage my audience on Instagram. and It just doesn't work. They're not there. Like I have Interesting. a couple million people over here and I have 10,000 people on Instagram. So the platform migration is not as easy as it seems. Yeah, that's a really interesting nuance that I didn't really think about. And I guess a follow-up question for you before you start to wind things down is around how brands can start to or continue to make some sort of presence on TikTok, or at the very least start to test it, right? You kind of walk through the different applications. I know that there are different advertising offerings and offer opportunities. We've seen brands like Elf Cosmetics completely kill it because they really got to the heart of what makes TikTok so powerful for their audience. Do you have any tips or, or recommendations for brands listening that have been considering TikTok or are starting to test it, but want to kind of ramp things up and kind of determine, are we going to move forward or not whenever this whole situation gets straightened out? First, the word on the street is we are in a four-week period of uncertainty. So chances are brands are going to wait this out to just make sure that delivers. But the most effective way and the way that we are seeing phenomenal success for our brand clients is through using TikTok influencers. Because honestly, you're asking them to create 15 or 30 second content. And it's also great if it's part of a creative. So some brands will come up with a, a dance or a contest. They'll come up with a particular angle. But I really think that it's the only platform in which the engagement of mega influencers has an immediate payoff because the results that you get, the numbers and the engagements and the drive and the attention is huge. Now, one of the things that TikTok doesn't offer and that I think is going to dominate marketing considerations 
is really thinking about shopper market centric. So TikTok can get a lot of brands like attention and lift, but there's no real direct correlation to sales lift in rare cases. Yes. But also we have to look at the, from a marketing attribution standpoint, what else were they doing? And I think that what's going to happen, TikTok has been very slow to develop a sophisticated dashboard, to develop an API, and to really connect shopping to it. So assuming that TikTok does survive this sort of threat to their current structured existence, I think we're going to see the merging of e-commerce with TikTok be effective. And I think that the other thing we're seeing with TikTok is it's easy to do a one and done. You don't have to invest in a long-term campaign. It's a quick hit as a brand you're in and out and you can see immediate results. So I think that that's a compelling and smart way to look at how to use the platform right now. Well, this has been great, Stacey. I and mean, we've covered a lot of ground, but I feel like <laughs> yeah. still a lot more to get into. So we'd love to have you back once um, again. Everything, everything gets all straightened out because that could lead to a whole unraveling of new opportunities, new ideas, especially for brands. But thank you again so much for uh, taking the time out. Before I let you go, let's kind of put a bow on everything that we talked about today, because we talked about new behaviors, new platforms, new ideas, the future of influencers, everything. You noted that some companies may be putting the pause on TikTok specifically. I'm not sure what that looks like broadly for social media, but for folks that are still chugging along, want to get in front of their audience and maybe test new things from a strategic standpoint. Any closing thoughts, recommendations? Because right now we're kind of getting to holiday mode, right? So a different mindset, different opportunity there. So any closing thoughts for everyone listening? Yeah, I think that brands have to unpause marketing and get back in it because consumers resent not hearing from them. And I do think that social media is a really compelling way to engage. I think the key to think about is how each engagement is structured to not only drive consumer purchase and to keep tethering those consumers who are so quick to jump to generics to go off of their favorite brands and retailers. And I think the key to this is A-B testing to prove out and to keep closely entwined retail specific shopper marketing tied into the marketing on social media. Because that's what really speaks to those of us in the C-suite about this compelling nature of the value of the spend and of being able to either keep customers loyal during a time where you have supply side issues or to really leverage sales and to even broaden the consumer base for those brands that are in-store and that want to continue to drive market share. Awesome, Stacey. Well, thanks again so much for taking the time out. Definitely encourage everyone, we're going to leave some show notes in today's episode to learn more about Stacey and her company, the work that they're doing, because I really do think it's a fascinating world. So many ways to unpack it, reinterpret it, apply it for your business. So we'll be sure to include some uh, good show notes there for you to get some more details. Again, Stacey, really appreciate the great conversation and hope to have you back on the show soon. I would love that. So fun. So much to talk about. (laughs) All right. Excellent. (laughs) And of course, as always, thanks everyone out there for listening to today's episode. If you have any feedback or comments on today's episode, we encourage you to reach out to us on social media, of course, specifically on Twitter at our touch points. Or if you have an idea for a topic or a guest that we should spotlight, put in the hot seat for a future episode, feel free to reach out to us with those as well. Thanks again, everyone. And we'll talk to you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.